We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 190. The Yankees are back in this series just like I am back on the podcast, Scott. What's up? Finally, we got some offense going. Had to go back to New York, which is, uh, which is obviously we knew that the offense would turn it back up, and they did in a big way. And not only did they turn it up, but Aaron Judge is back, baby. He's back. Big home run. Big home run. Needed to see that from that, uh, from that man. He Needed looked- to see that. He looked good overall, and I thought it was so funny that he made that play down the right field line, slamming into the wall. Almost a do-over of the Houston play on that Correa home run. Obviously, different park, different scenario. But he just looked so much more comfortable at Yankee Stadium. He knew exactly where the wall was, how many steps he had until he crashed into the wall. Had no problem going up and nabbing it from some potential fans, some potential kid. I know that's what you were tweeting out from the from the Yankees, from the Bronx Pinstripes account, that Judge is too nice to take a ball away from a fan. 
But uh, it was just funny how it was sort of like a do-over for him. Did you see my tweet tonight after that catch? No, I've been looking at too many tweets, dude. I don't it know. said it said no children were hurt on this catch. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the guy in the tuxedo bowing to him. The uh, no, the wall was pretty much the thing that took the brunt of it. I mean, the dude crashed into the wall. It was a great catch. He covered a lot of ground. That's what he does. I just think that the ball the other night, he just had a bad jump on it. Um, but yeah. I mean, and he didn't know the park. You're right. He that's knows a, the park. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the park. It's short, and it's a lot shorter in right field. Um, the, that was a tough. People were saying that Judge should have made that play uh, to harp back onto game two. I don't know. I know we're not going to really talk much about game two, but just let me throw my two cents in here because I wasn't on the podcast last episode. But that would have been an un- unbelievable catch for Judge to have made that play. First of all, it was a home run. Second of all, it's not his park. He's running towards the foul line. Reddick just had to run straight back on that Headley play to catch the ball. So it was a totally different scenario. It would have been a nice play. I think Judge thought he could have and should have made the play, but it was by no means a routine catch like some Yankee fans were making it seem on Twitter. No, first of all, he was also towards center field. He was in right center. He wasn't all the way in just straight up right field. It was a lot of ground to catch. And Reddick's catch won, by the way. He did not need to jump. He didn't. He could have caught the ball. He made it look better than it, than it actually was. And Judge had a ton of room to cover. So just because he's a giant human being doesn't mean he can catch every single ball. The thing is, though, when he was running, I thought he was going to catch it. Oh, I did too. But then uh, I see the replay and I see how much ground he covered. And I realized that eh. he just had a bad jump on it, too. I mean, there, there were a bunch of things. Anyway, whatever. But it was, he caught, it was he caught this those... one. He caught this one and it was a beautiful catch. And the dude had an all around phenomenal game. It was like, the, but it was a lot of those little plays in Houston because of the, both of the two to one losses, you don't make a couple of small plays, and guess what? You're going to lose a game two to one. Gla- uh, gladly, the Yankees didn't have to worry about that in game three. Eight to nothing, or eight, what was it? Eight to one because Dylan yeah, Batanza shit happened. to bed in the ninth inning. Right. But gladly, we didn't have to uh, worry about those, those close plays come, come late in this game. Well, no, that's the beauty about having a nice offensive outburst. When you have those those giant runs, the the run support, you have a little bit more room of uh, you know to do the things that you can do and just to be more aggressive and play more loose. That was the one thing that I was really happy that they were coming back because it seems like whenever they're home, they just play a lot more loose. They play more their game. They do that dumb stuff on the off the field that just keeps them nice and fresh and acting like kids and just going out there and letting the talent take over. And today, that's 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 exactly what it looked like. Finally, thank God, we got a got a hold of this uh, this Charlie Morton kid. He is exactly who we thought he is, <laughs> just some some guy. Uh, and we didn't treat him like the Dallas Keuchel's and Justin Verlanders of the world. Because in the first inning, I was like, "Oh no, what's happening here?" And then finally, they, they didn't. It didn't take long, but you know, I want I wanted to see it in the first inning. Well, it was weird because he, he was throwing ninety nine miles an hour. Everyone throws ninety nine miles an hour now, but Charlie Morton coming out throwing ninety nine. Uh, is a little startling. He was throwing 99. He was getting that two-seamer running back over to lefties, and he had a nice curveball going. And the Yankees had a couple of, just a couple of soft hits, right? The the DD bunt single, then he immediately gets picked off. Castro, the swinging bunt. Headley had the infield RBI single. You get Greg Bird with the, with the bloop double down the left field line because Cameron I'm not even Mabin, calling that a blue. Cameron yeah, Mabin just a couldn't get the tampon defense. couldn't get the tampon <laughs> yeah. out of his ass to dive for the ball. It's the fucking playoffs, Cameron Mabin. What are you doing? I don't even know what he was doing. It wasn't even a dive. He could have. I think he could have been parked under that ball. I, if I, were, I don't know what was happening. If I were Houston, I would have benched him right then and there. How do you not? Yeah. How do you not go all out for that ball? Was it, he? He pulled up. Not even didn't dive. Just pulled up. He so, was like 20 feet from the wall. I just don't, I really don't, I would have loved to know what was going through his mind. 
Yeah. I don't know if the wind was swirling or if it was something was messing with him or he didn't see the ball. I don't know. It was strange. Right. But uh, Todd Frazier get, gets the Yankees on the board out of nowhere, right? Because you see the swing. He's got his ass yeah. out to third base dugout. He's just taking a hack at the ball. And I'm like, oh, there's a weak fly ball to right field. And the ball just kept going. And it looked yeah. like the whole stadium was shocked that that thing left the park. I'm sure they were. I was shocked when I saw the swing. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, maybe it's got a chance to go over his head. Maybe he's playing in. I don't know. And the, what? the It's it's bat. What? It's gone? It was it was just strange. Then you watch the replay again. He just flipped his wrists over and just was basically making. Con- it was almost like he was fouling off the ball, right? And and it went out. It was uh, it was pretty. I mean, I don't know if that's just forearm strength or or just you, you found the right jet stream or what. But what did uh, I mean, Verducci tell us? He had strong hands, right? Oh, some did he? I don't strongest, know. I, some of the strongest hands. In the man, game. I've been trying to tune out everything these guys have been saying. I can't handle Joe Buck and, uh, and they John were bad. Smoke. They're they were the very two. Bad they're the two whitest dudes you could possibly put on the broadcast. They're the most corny. This horrible, was, horrible, cheesy shit they're saying. What was with the accents? What was with the Howard Cosell slash Jersey accent that Buck was trying to throw in tonight? Yeah, then he did a couple other ones. He did a, uh, he did a, uh, when Headley was up, he did like a Headley Lamar trying to like do Blazing Saddles. And then one, they, he did back to back on that one. I don't know what his problem was. One, I don't think he's ever good, but today he was doing the impressions and it was, it was the whole, it was a weird game. Well, see, this is kind, what this game a, became. Kind of a weird game. This is what this game became because the Yankees take an eight nothing lead fairly yeah, early it was a in the game, and then everyone on social media just immediately starts complaining about the broadcast. So it's no longer about the game; it's about that the broadcasters hate the Yankees, and they were giving Altuve a lot of praise. I think a little bit too much, considering the fact that it was an eight to nothing ball game for the Yankees, and Aaron Judge, the other MVP front runner, along with Altuve, was having an amazing game with two spectacular plays in the field. Not not only the one at the wall, but the one diving coming in and then the three-run bomb so oh, i Buck, understand Buck practically right. gave altuve the mvp right talking about it right. mean, he was it's his mvp that's that's basically what he said but i mean the bottom line is I, I i really don't give a crap who joe buck or who john smoltz roots for all i care is that the yankees were winning eight to nothing at that point oh yeah absolutely and that's and that's why twitter turned into a joe buck hate fest <laughs> and and you know it, it started to get funny because Joe Buck's an ass. <laughs> um, but but it, like you said, it was just a weird game overall because there was some other weird stuff that happened tonight was that, that DD replay, right? I mean, that, that would have been a crucial – that was a crucial moment in the game. The Yankees were just trying to get base runners at that point. And uh, Altuve, that guy, again, makes a nice play, throws, throws to, to Guriel, who stretches for it. The ump calls DD safe because he said the foot came off the bag. And then a replay overturns it, but – I don't know what they saw that could have possibly have shown there was enough evidence to overturn that. So just another, yet another weird thing that happened tonight. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's two days for me. You know, I actually don't want to talk to you about this because of the replay situation and the fact that you're a uh, scumbag Patriots fan and uh, the, the unbelievable thing that happened yesterday in the Jets game. But the two replays. I mean, I don't even know what these guys are looking at. I mean, what are you looking at? The when you they showed all the angles, and when you showed, like it was hard to see some of them. But when you saw the one from the outfield, from the right field line down towards home plate, you could see that his foot was off the bag. You could see that there was separation. So I don't know how they could possibly have said that it wasn't uh, what the call was on the on the field because the call was safe. So I don't know where you where you come up with clear evidence that. It didn't come off when I'm looking at it and I see that there's a gap between his foot and the uh, and the bag. 
they're saying the cleat, like, okay, you could see the cleat. No, you cannot see the cleat. It's, yeah. it's, uh, and you could see the, 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 the big thing for me was that when, when the, the foot was separated, you could actually see a motion back towards the bag. Like he was look, feeling for it. Like he was trying to push against the bag. You could see the foot go backwards towards the bag. That was the other clear piece of evidence that said, okay, he was not on the bag. That's one of those plays that you just pretty much assume however the play was called on the field is how it's going to stand. And yeah, don't get involved. Right. Uh, I'm glad it didn't come back to bite him in the ass. And also, thanks for because uh, we got a, a lot of new listeners during this postseason. So a lot of new listeners are going to know that I'm a Patriots fan. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you need to be out. I'm sorry. <laughs> and guess how many Patriots games I've watched this year? About two, because I don't give a crap because the Yankees are in the ALCS right now. That's very good point. You shouldn't watch them. They're really not that good this year. So <laughs> they almost lost to the Jets, and the Jets are freaking terrible. Um. CC big man CC 10 and 0 right this is his 10th victory after Yankees lost this season the stopper he's been the stopper all season the stopper in this postseason has come up once again yeah I mean you you just you can't I don't know what uh if there's a Yankee fan out there that wants anybody else uh on the mound in a big game at this point besides CC Sabathia which is which is crazy the you know it, it, like uh like we'd be talking about this in the beginning of the season the dude is is on another level right now. And honestly, I got to tell you, I, I was talking about this uh, with my wife just over the for the playoffs. And then I, I think from the second half on, really, like CeCe Sabathia is becoming one of my favorite Yankees. Just just the way that he has come back and the way um, I mean, even when he he showed his uh, the human side of him in 2015, when he he walked away to get him his life straight from uh, with the, with the alcohol rehab thing, came back in 2016. You could see that he was um, starting to you know figure out the the Andy Pettit style pitching, and then this year really just kind of putting it all together. And and then what he's done in the second half, and then late in the late in the season, and then now in the playoffs, like this is a man who is is cementing his legacy as a New York Yankee in, in front of us, and just doing huge things. I, I really really appreciate it. I think it's. Um, I just think it's awesome. What we're watching is really, really good stuff, and it's gonna, we're going to remember it for a long time. As if we needed any more reason to love Sabathia, obviously he was the number one factor as far as the pitching goes as to why they won a championship in 2009, and he had a number of big postseason starts through 2012. But this, this playoff run, I think you're right, has solidified him as a New York Yankee, and now seeing him pitch anywhere else next year, I know that's a discussion for another time, but it would really suck to see him pitch somewhere else at this point next year. Yeah, I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. But yeah, we'll get into that another time. But I really don't see it happening at all. I feel like there, there's too many uh, like coy conversations happening about it too right now with with everybody involved. I, I just feel like it's it's almost an unsaid deal that's going to happen. They and it makes so much. They just need to find that money, that money middle ground. And it makes so much sense for both sides. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. Um, but but yeah, I mean, obviously, we all know what he did in 2009. The man was uh, was was um, a humongous part. I mean, like you said, the biggest pitching uh, part of the 2009 championship. But for, for whatever reason, I, I don't know, a lot of those guys in the 2009, uh, I, I was never like totally It, it was bought into. and paid for. Dude, yeah, it was bought I, and paid for. Yeah, and, and after you come up, you know, growing up, and I, I was like, you know, in my late teens, early 20s for, the, for the, um, the, the 90s, you know, going into 2000 years, those were the years of the guys that, you know, were our guys. And Sabathia has always been there, and I've always liked him. But this year, for some reason, I don't know. There's just like it's it's almost like he's uh, 
he's become more of a person, I guess. And I, and I, th- I feel like that's, that's the side of him. seeing. And honestly, even that, that podcast that he's doing with Ruko, like I, I enjoy listening to it and hearing just him as a dude talking, um, throwing F-bombs at left and right, just because that's the way he talks. He talks like a freaking sailor. Um, he's just a likable dude, man. And, and, and what he's doing on the field just shows a lot of freaking nuts, and I love it. The, the thing, though, is he's leaving a lot of it out on the field. So you also yeah. kind of wonder if he's saying, well, at this point, we're making a deep playoff run. I'm going to pitch every ounce of of my abilities out of my arm right now in this postseason and then i'm hanging it up i'm not saying he's saying that but that's almost what we're watching right now that this is this is this guy going out on top yeah but that's the thing i don't think he can possibly control that that's that's why i love him that's why i think i i I realize like the competitor in him i always knew he was a maniac yeah i always knew he was a competitor but i think when when my my this little uh this this little affair I'm having with Cece Sabathia of my little, little man uh, crush on little man crush. It started. I, I know exactly when it started. Actually, I can pinpoint. I just I just realized when it started. It started in the uh, was it last year when um, Josh Donaldson got thrown inside. I mean barely, and he oh, was yeah, crying yeah, like yeah. a little bitch. Yep. And then there was that there was that little mayhem with uh, the Toronto Blue Jays up in Toronto. Yep. Was it in Toronto? I don't yes. remember. And Cece was coming out with that giant smile on his face. Like that was one of my favorite pictures of, of last year. And uh, and he, I feel like he's built on that now with, this, with the other brawl, and he's just being more more of a, a voiceless part of this team, and he's obviously you know a big leader on in that squad, and I really love that. I love I love seeing different sides of him because I feel like we're seeing a different type of player. Well, that's what this team. The one the one thing we've learned about this team coming down the stretch here, and really after that brawl in Detroit, is that they like each other. Todd yeah. Frazier, every time he has a chance, talks about how yeah, much yeah. this team is is hanging out one, with one another, and that this is the best, most closely knit team he's ever been on, and all that kind of crap. Um, personally, I think he's laying it on a little bit thick. I think he's just trying to ha- send some subtle hints at Steinbrenner so he can be brought back for the 2018 season. But regardless, I I think there is something to that where this is a very close team. Nah, man, he's too Jersey to to throw blow smoke in the in the moment. He's just talking. He's just talking and saying what he is. He just likes hanging out with the with the guys. He's just he's just that type of dude. <laughs> I just think he really enjoys. I think it's just a super loose clubhouse. I think these guys have a lot of fun, and I think it just it spreads throughout all of them. I, I feel like you're in that clubhouse, and you can't not have fun. I did feel like everybody read, in there has fun. Did you read Frazier's Players Tribune thing last week? No. I saw it, I glanced over it. I didn't read the whole thing, though. Yeah, there was one thing you talking about how this was the only team he's ever been on where the uh, the veterans and the young kids, so, sort of like the young kids act like veterans in a good way and the veterans act like young kids in a good way and, and they sort of have a nice mix that way. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it. That's that's what started happening yeah, at the end of last year. I mean, that's that's when, that Yankee, when the Yankees made that improbable run um, and, uh, and, and the kids started playing really well and they were picking up the vets because the vets are like, they just start playing looser. When you have guys who, who are on your team, who are, are super young, are energetic, having a lot of fun playing baseball, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's contagious and it, it stays in there because young guys have energy and they always have energy. And that's, uh, that, that's all you need for sometimes for some veteran guys to sustain it as well. The one thing I thought was funny tonight is they were shoving it down our throats that um, Frazier was a Yankee fan growing up. I thought that that was, was not the truth and that he was a Mets <laughs> fan growing up. Because he wasn't talking about it early, and he was it's like, "Oh, changed. I don't want to talk about it." It's, I think it has. It's flip flip flopped back and forth because the whole twenty one number twenty one thing, right? He wore number twenty one. Paul O'Neill, yeah, because of Paul O'Neill. But uh, and he has obviously the picture with Derek Jeter from Little League. 
but you're right. I feel like there was some Mets history uh, at some point. And, and all the way down in Tom's River, shit, he could have been a Phillies fan for all we know. Yeah, yeah, There was just some unsaid thing. I remember when he came over, he was like, ah, oh, well, I'll talk about that. Like, he, he was coy about it <laughs> in the sense that I'm not going to say because I'm pretty sure he was a Mets fan. Keith Hernandez was his hero. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, th- those types of things. But um, man, now he's a Yankees fan growing up, so whatever. I don't really give a shit. But I just think, I thought it was funny that, that Fox is, uh, is shoving that storyline down your throat. But, but getting back to CeCe and what he actually did on the field in Game 3, I thought he set a very nice blueprint for how to attack the Houston hitters. This is not an easy lineup for Sabathia. It's not an easy lineup for anyone, but they stacked the entire lineup with righties, right? Because they can not only have all those righties that we normally see, but then they can take McCann out and throw Gaddis in. So there's a lot of right-handed hitters that Sabathia had to go through. He was pounding the cutter in. He was getting the, the slow slider on the outer half of the plate for the backdoor call. So I thought he set a nice blueprint. He, was, he used their aggressiveness against them. There was a couple key at-bats with runners on base early in that game going through the middle of that lineup. Remember when he got out of that bases-loaded jam with Altuve and Correa? He kind of just pitched around Altuve. He knew that Altuve likes to attack fastballs, didn't give him anything good to hit, and then he made Altuve pop up by making him swing at something off-speed. So and, and I think it was like a maybe even a cutter up and in is the pitch he actually got him out on. So that's what Sonny Gray is going to need to do in game four. Use the Houston Astros aggressiveness against them. The difference between the two of them is, is that is that CC all season long has been able to get out of jams that he's put himself into because that's been part of his game plan. He's he's lived with the walks because we know he can't throw, you know, 90, 95 to 98 any longer and he can't blow guys away with his fastball. So he's got to nibble corners and all year long he's been he's been walking more guys. But that's fine because that's part of his game plan. That's just part of it. You have to live with the walks if you're going to be attacking the corners like he's doing. And, and that's what's happening. So, he, yes, you're right. He's not giving them the pitch that they're expecting. He's not giving them a pitch that's going to, um, uh, you know, a fastball down the gut if he needs to. He'll throw that off-speed uh, breaking ball. Um, but the difference between him and Sonny Gray is, is that Sonny Gray hasn't been able to get out of these mistakes uh, on occasions. He's, he's let these walks hurt him. So uh, I'd like for Sonny Gray still... I agree. You you have to look. You can't be throwing these guys fastballs. It's just they eat. I don't, up I don't know how many. Balls. I don't know how many times we got to talk about this. The, the entire league is a fastball hitting league. If you if you throw a guy in there who is more of a finesse guy who can who can change it up, who can locate, um, and then sneak a fastball by you when you're not expecting it and counts that you're not looking for a fastball, that's when you can be successful. Sonny Gray has to do this, but Sonny Gray has to be around the plate. They're not gonna they're not gonna be swinging at the pro- the the other difference with 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 uh, CC. And Sonny is they know CC will throw some of these uh, pitches for a strike, and if Sonny Gray's off, you know they've seen what his past three four starts are, and he's been off. So you know they may not be as aggressive, knowing that those those breaking balls very well will be out of the zone. Well, I think there's a lot of hitters in that lineup that can't help but be aggressive, especially a guy like Guriel. He's going to swing no matter what. So I, I actually I actually kind of like this matchup for for Sonny Gray. I, he, you're right. He hasn't been good. There has not been a lot to give us confidence, and he's been sitting for 12 days. That's how little confidence the Yankees have in him. They didn't start him for 12 days. Last Maybe that's a good pitched. thing. I mean, it's, it can't be. It can't be worse than his last three to four. Not, not that they were like completely abysmal, but. You know, maybe some time off was uh, doing him good. October 5th was the last time he pitched. That seems like forever ago. So much has happened since October 5th. Yeah, there's been a lot that's happened. <laughs> been like 19 podcasts since October yeah, 5th. So, so the last time we saw Sonny Gray, you're right. He was walking guys, falling behind hitters, and he had a bad start in game one of the ALDS. So I, I think if he uses his breaking balls to get ahead of the hitters, if he can do that, he will have success game four. 
I mean, the other thing you're looking at is that this is game three, and, you know, I keep forgetting about that one run that, that Delon Botantis jacked up and, and ruined our little uh, our goose egg. But, I mean, that's that's four or five runs in, in the series. The Yankee pitchers have done a very good job keeping yeah. these guys down. Oh, um, my God. If you told us five runs through three games, the Yankees It'd be 3-0. Would have, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, but, you know, the guys that, that we're talking about, the two guys that have been identified as the uh, as, as the heart and soul of their lineup with Altuve and Correa, those are the two guys that have killed us. And it's because they've they've had timely hits. I mean, Altuve's been on base a ton. Um, but he's not like he's been doing like crazy damage. He's not hitting. He's not getting extra base hits. He's getting a lot of singles. He's, he's getting on base. He's, he's an annoying. Back. He's an annoying pest. Yeah, he is an annoying little pest. And, I, and I'm telling you, we need we need Ronald Torres to go out there and just fight him, just beat the shit out of him. Like I want to see this. But, uh, uh, I think Torres is getting his ass kicked. Altuve's got some thickness on him. Nah, man. See, I'll, the difference between the two is Altuve will, will just or will go straight up. Torres will bite. He'll bite. He'll he'll pull hair. That's he'll kick true. you in the nuts. I mean, he he's like a squirrel. He'll do anything he's got to do to win that fight. I got I got a lot of faith in that guy. But um, but those two guys were were kept at bay, and that's that's the key. I I think you keep those two guys at bay, and you have a really good opportunity. Uh, and and for game four, Houston hasn't even announced a pitcher yet. We're recording after the game. Maybe they have announced one as you guys are listening to this. But at it's, this, it's going to be Peacock. It's it's going to be Peacock, yeah, or or possibly McCullers, or is McCullers even McCullers and Liriano are both on the the playoff roster, right? I'm not sure about Liriano, but if he is, he hasn't been starting. I'm pretty sure he's been using the bullpen. Um, from from what I, from what I've been reading and seeing, it's going to be Peacock. But if, okay. if anybody else, it's going to be McCullers because they used McHugh today. He was right. actually pretty good, so I'm glad they burned him. I was I was going to say that next. <laughs> I was surprised that they brought him in in that situation. Um, just to save some some bullets out of that bullpen, which, as we know, we didn't get to see that bullpen in games one and two. Frickin' Verlander throwing a complete game against them. But that bullpen sucks. So you get into that middle relief of the bullpen, and the Yankees are going to win these games. Um, yeah, Peacock's had a good season. He's inexperienced, though, so that's, that's a, pu- a plus for the Yankees when you're matching up with Sonny Gray. You don't think any part of them would be tempted to bring Keuchel back on short rest? I don't think at this point... No, I mean, I, I think it would be. Uh, I think it would be way over aggressive. It and would. I, I just. I don't think this team. To me, it would almost be like a panic move. It would be like a we have to win this game to stop the bleeding almost type thing. Because if the Yankees get a roll, they could win another game. I don't see them doing it. Maybe if I they were down two one. If they were down, I think I could see that more of a more of a thing. But, um, I, I you know this this Peacock guy, like you said, has had a pretty good year. I don't know. We're not listening to a guy named Peacock. I'm sorry. It just can't happen. <laughs> can't happen. I, I, we, there's two guys. There's two pitchers on this team that that I can accept the loss to, and and we already lost to those two guys. So there's, uh, you know, unless we face them again, and 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 put up an well, L, we better we that. better face them again, or else something very wrong happened in this series. My point is, what I'm getting at is, I'm not losing to anybody named Morton or Peacock. Okay, not happening. This offense needs to tear it up against those kids. Um. So there was a lot of positives from the Yankees tonight, obviously, um, but a couple negatives just want to mention. Gary Sanchez still looks lost at the plate. Uh, Judge finally came around tonight. He had the walk in the first inning on that low borderline pitch uh, that went his way, and then the Houston pitchers were forced to bring the ball up, and look what happens. He crushes a line drive that sneaks over the wall in left field for a three-run bomb. But meanwhile, Gary Sanchez just cannot get anything going. Yeah, no, he's, he's uh, he's still trying to figure things out. 
you know, if, if Judge can figure it out, hopefully Gary Sanchez can figure it out too. It's just these guys are um, they're so crucial to this lineup. But at the same time, you're seeing that the Yankees can score runs if one of these guys is doing well. I mean, there's there's other people in the lineup that, that can also and need to step up. Frankly, they they need to step up. Um, guys like Frazier, who's been really good this postseason, actually, he's he is making more of a, a statement to say, hey, maybe I should be here. I mean, he's he's doing he's doing pretty damn well in the postseason. He's been one of our more dependable bats, actually. Um, and, and then played also a, a good third base. But yeah, man, we need if we could get Gary Sanchez and, and uh, Judge just, you know, maybe not torrid, but just just kind of in there, you know, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of both of them at the same time. This is this could be a tough team to beat. Does Girardi shift the lineup around at all? He's proven that he hasn't. He's proven that he's not going to do that. He, he's, he's already talked about a hundred times that that the, the guys will figure it out. They're close. He's like, they're always close. I always think they're close. That's what he says all the time. So, no, I don't see him doing anything. If you, if you shift something, it's going to be very minor, and it'll be a righty-lefty thing probably. Of but course. I'm not, asking that's to, I'm not asking to take Gary Sanchez out of the lineup or anything like that. And for everyone who's saying put Austin Romine behind the plate and Gary Sanchez at DH, can, can you please just shut up? Austin Romine is not starting a game at catcher for the Yankees in the ALCS. No. Um, but maybe just put Bird in the, in the cleanup spot because he's been seeing the ball and hitting the ball better. Um, just get as many good hitters back to back as you possibly can to try and string together some hits. Yeah, I, I mean, the only the only thing they will do is mess around with three, four, five. That's it, uh, or two, three, two, three, four. Sorry, I think Bird is cemented in that in that five spot, and uh, I think they'll maybe flip with Didi and uh, and and Sanchez just because of the righty lefty. I don't think he's doing much else. I mean, he's already pretty much said he's not going to do anything else. And anybody who's DHing is not going to mess with that the top of the order. They're going to be down lower in the in the order. So I don't see it happening. I just don't. I, Joe is very uh, committed to that lineup. I think. Well, Headley actually got a hit today out of the DH spot. Was that the he first did. one? First one I saw since Raúl Obanez in the 2012 playoffs for a Yankees DH. Oh boy. Yeah, it was definitely <laughs> the first one this year. If Obanez was the last one, then yes. Yeah. So uh, since he got a hit, you can't take him out of the lineup. <laughs> no. Yeah. Even yeah. though it was an he got one single. hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Single. He got. He got one hit. I felt. I mean, he did hit the ball hard in game two, two twice. Yes, he did. Show for it. No, that's right. You know, he did. He put together good at bats. Um, so I thought it was the the good move. I thought it was the right move to put him in there. Uh, Holiday looked completely lost in game one. So, and Dylan Batances did o- almost ruin everything by forcing Chapman to warm up, and I was afraid Girardi was going to go to him and. That would have been like like I think Smoltz said on the broadcast a minor win for the Astros if they had gotten Batanz excuse me gotten Chapman in the game. Gladly it didn't happen, but uh, Dellen Batanz is just you got to feel bad for him at this point, right? I mean he was so, disje- uh, dejected walking off the mound. So I, I took uh, I took the ninth inning as an opportunity to try to uh, to get my son down early so that we could do this podcast, and I'm listening to the TV broadcast while I'm doing. Uh, like changing him and getting him ready for bed. And I'm like, no, come on. I just keep, I keep hearing like nothing good. And uh, that's when I texted you. I was like, did, did they really just pull Batantis? Cause he was all over the place. So I didn't see his facial, uh, his facial expressions yet. I will look in the morning, but this man is, um, he's lost. He's gone. Just totally gone. Eight, nothing game at home. And you can't find this. You can't throw a strike. It's, it's bad. It's, it, someone was tweeting at us saying he's got the Chuck Knobloch syndrome and it's probably not that far off. Yeah. Um, all right. So, how you feel? How are you feeling going to Game Four? I feel good. I feel good. I don't feel good that I'm not going now. That you have my tickets, but I I'm happy for you. Thanks for your tickets. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> all 
I, I was looking at where the tickets are. I'm going to be in prime home run catching territory. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, left-handed. Hopefully, I catch a bird bomb tomorrow night. Let me, let me, let's let's just get something very clear. If Zach Hample catches a ball in front of you, you're getting just a complete Twitter beatdown from everybody because you need to be the guardian of the gate at that point. And, I don't know. And take him out. He's. I want. I want to see. I want to see a yellow blob fall over the fence. He's been blocking everyone on Twitter, so uh, including myself, I think. So uh, I don't think well, he's going to be able to attack me on Twitter. No, no, no. I'm not talking about Twitter. I'm talking about in real life. Oh, I'm talking about life. in real life. Him catching a ball in front of you. You he, need to block him out. He's the type of guy that if you take a home run ball away from him, he's going to go tattle on you and say that you assaulted him, and you're going to get kicked out of the park. Well, don't let him catch the ball. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> don't let him catch the ball. All right, we got a big game for Yankees are looking to tie up the series. Any last words, Scott, before we get out of here? I'm ready. Just keep the offense going. We just the, the offense needs to just continue to to mash because they got to win one game at a time, right? That's it. One game at a time. Tomorrow, Sonny Gray. Let's do it. And if you're at the game tomorrow, tweet me at Andrew underscore Rotondi. Let me know where you're going and uh, come say hi. Have a couple beers. Talk to you guys later. Believe it or not, George isn't at home to leave a message at the beep. I must be out before I pick up the phone. Where could I be? Believe it or not, I'm not home. How do you drop that motherfucking ball? He's out by fucking 10 feet. How do you fucking drop that ball? I gotta tell you, dude. Motherfuckers. They hold these guys to fucking four runs in two games. You gotta win one of those motherfucking games. You got to. I mean, I know they did fucking spectacularly, but so did we. Like, get your fucking head in the game. It's fucking playoffs. It's the fucking ALCS. What the fuck? Yanks are up 8-0. to zero. CeCe's on fire. Guys are getting hits. Judge is on fire. Hitting balls, hitting walls. Guys are getting hits. It's a good night, guys. We're coming back. What up, guys? Carlos. Did you read CeCe's lips? Oh, this last pitch he just threw. He was like, the fuck out of here, buddy. DC is a wild boy. Let's go Yankees, baby. Game three's over. Just listen to this game. We feel happy. Bats came alive. Guys are doing good. We have one problem. That guy's sitting in the booth. Joe Buck. You know, the Yankees are up 8-1. And he's still talking about how, you know, even if the Yankees bring out Chapman, somehow the Astros are winning in this game. You know what? With this young team, there's nothing I would love more than to just see Joe Buck for the next decade just have to call Yankees playoff games over and over and over again and just have to endure it, just listening to him suffering. And tonight, it's not like he had a gun to his head every time anything good happened with the Yanks. Uh, but anyway, great win. We win again tomorrow. We win again the next day. Win the series. We win the World Series too. Go Yanks! Morning, boys. Danny from England. What a game! What a game! What a noise on the uh, the, the crew in the in the bleachers. The boys in the stands. Fantastic stuff. 
New Yorkers know how to make a row. Aaron Judge, what a glove, what a bat. Todd Frazier, the Todd father, superb. Cece, rolling back the years, a legend. Can't wait for game four. The Yankees are coming. Let's go, Yankees. Greg from New York here, guys. Yankees win game five in Cleveland. See, this is what happens when, quote, the best team in baseball doesn't take the Yankees seriously. You're going to give a team like this momentum. And now we got a head of steam going into Houston. You're not stopping this team now. I wasn't really sure about the trade for Todd Frazier, but I think he proved himself. And it wasn't for him in that ninth inning. I don't know if we would be here right now. And uh, by the way, fuck Francisco Lindor, man. First of all, he grounded into that double play in the fifth inning that changed the entire game. And on top of that, for a whole series, especially in game two, he's getting out, third out in the in innings, and he's pounding his fucking glove like an asshole. You know, like he fucking just got the third out from game seven of the World Series. You know, just control yourself, pal. Control yourself. You know, grab your glove. Bring it down to your little man cave in Cleveland, and you can pound the fucking glove while you watch the Yankees win number 28. Go Yanks. What is up, guys? It is WFAN legendary caller Mike in New Haven. Uh, you don't have a good shot against the Astros. They're playing without money. They're playing loose. They're having fun. And it's truly a great thing to see. I think they got uh, a decent shot to push the series all the way to seven. I think they can win the whole freaking thing. So, man, I, I, this is the first team I can truly relate to. Uh, obviously, you know, I love Jeter. I love Mariano, Pettis, Masada, and whatnot. But as a 17-year-old kid, this is the first team that I can truly say is my team. Aaron Judge finally decides to get a hit, and Greg Bird runs slower than I've ever seen someone run in my life. Is Greg Bird honestly that slow? Oh, my. Down 2-0. Fuck you, Ellsbury. You're fucking useless. You, you're fucking terrible. Terrible. I'm gonna need the Yankees to stop losing close games because it's really taking years off my life. Joe Buck got to be the worst announcer we could possibly have on right now. We're tied one-one, bottom of the seventh, one out. The way this guy's talking, it sounds like we're down by five runs. Get him the hell off the air. Why do they let him keep doing this? Gary Sanchez. You're a catcher. Catch the ball. Here we go again. Sanchez. Dude. Okay, so you didn't let me pass balls all the time. But get down. Halfway up the third base line. Are you freaking kidding me? That was the game winner. Hello. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.